Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Rick Thomas, and we are doing Life Over Coffee. In this particular episode, I want to share with you a story that happened in the counseling office some 20-something years ago. I have titled this, A Lesbian Walked Into My Office Ready for Help. I want to share with you that story, and then at the end, I want to tease out 10 reflective thoughts that I trust will be beneficial for all of us. Thank you again for joining me for Life Over Coffee. I did title this, A Lesbian Walked Into My Office Ready for Help. She came into my office looking for help because she had grown weary of her lifestyle and she had a remote association with God through her former life. And she thought maybe that he was in her problems somehow, some way, and she did need help sorting things out. And so this is a great story. And one of the reasons, the primary reason actually that I'm sharing this with you is that I trust that my retelling of it will be an encouragement to anyone, anybody with children that have walked away from the Lord or have never been Christians and they're living a rebellious lifestyle, or maybe you know someone who is walking away from the Lord, and this is what I want you to hear above everything, that there is hope. There is no life, there is no sin that is outside God's grace to redeem. And so I want to share this with you about my lesbian friend who came to my office looking for help because she was ready for change. But before I do that, I I do want to share with you a note that came into our ministry. Uh, This is on our website. I'm reading it right off of our phone. It's from uh, off my phone. It's from a lady named Melinda. Melinda has been a supporter of our ministry for about a year now. Uh, She came to us. She's in our private community, which is where our supporters go. Uh, We do have a private space that nobody in the world can access. And we, we set that up for our members because they financially support us and we want to honor them and give them that space to where we can talk and interact with each other. And so Melinda is a part of our community. And this is what she said. And the reason I'm sharing it with you is because it's so, so mind boggling as well as humbling, but I also want you to hear that God is doing a, a work here for his mysterious reasons. I am grateful for it. And, and we do want to let especially our supporters know, uh, but we want others to know too that there is something very good happening here, and it, it could be very beneficial to uh, you and many other people as well. Melinda said, I have actually grown more as a person and as a counselor through this website than through any other resources including conferences. I've had more sisters in Christ say that they have been helped with the materials I've used from this site more than any other resources. And so, Melinda, thank you so much for sending in and and, and stating that. That's a powerful statement that you've made. And one of the Another reason that I'm sharing this with you is because I do want to draw a little bit of a distinction between conferences and what we're doing here at this ministry. Both of those are excellent means of grace within the Christian community. Conferences are good. 
websites like this are good as well. And so we're not competing. I'm not setting up some kind of competition here, but I just want to tease out the importance of both, but also the differences of both. You have testimonies, more than likely, of going to conferences and benefiting so much from them, being refreshed, being revived, being reminded, and interacting with fellow Christians around the country or around the world. Uh, You can tell stories of things that God has done to you, in you, at conferences, and those stories are real, and they have impact on our lives that can last a very long time, and so there's a huge benefit with conferences. But typically, conferences are unidirectional. They're more informational than transformational, and the reason for that is because dialogue is harder to have at conferences than it is, like, say, a ministry like ours. I have led many conferences over the past 40 years as a Christian. I have taught also with teams and other individuals, and conferences are difficult uh, when you're leading them, when you're speaking at them, because your, your time is pulled and it's splintered in so many ways that it's hard to just sit down and talk with someone, and you can't do that over any length of time because that's not the nature of conferences. And so understanding that, that they are a huge benefit benefit to the Christian community, uh, but they have a certain kind of purpose. Our ministry is a little bit different from that because our ministry, you can actually slow down. You can stop. You can actually be here for a decade or more if you want. Uh, We have people who have been supporting us all of these 14 years since 2008 that we have been in ministry. And many of those people are on our private forums, our supporting forums, and they benefit from the interaction that either they have with us or as they're looking through the glass and watching us interact with people who come uh, to us, it is a slower environment where there is more reciprocation. There is more dialogue and less monologue. Now, we are a monologue ministry because, again, like we put out, we have put out millions of words through the written uh, content, the video content, the podcast that we have produced over the past 14 years. And so we're definitely a monologue ministry, but we're also a slowed down dialogue ministry where you can come into a quiet space, non distracted, and receive reciprocal care. And so both of them have benefit. And if you're looking for that kind of place to where you can come and interact, that's why I want you to hear what uh, Melinda has to say. And again, it is a profound thought that she says, I've actually grown more as a person, as a counselor through this website. And the Sisters in Christ say that they have been helped with the materials I've used than any other resources. And that is an incredible statement. And that's why I want you to hear it for all the reasons that I have stated. Now, I want to share with you the story that happened some 20 years ago. When a lesbian walked into my office and she was looking for help, I did not know her. We did not know each other. Uh, That was our first meeting. She was 32 years old, and she was a graduate from an established Christian university. Her parents were renowned for their lifelong full-time vocational ministry, and so she had grown up in ministry, been educated at a Christian university, and so she had a lot of familiarity uh, with God and with Christianity. But she'd also been living a lesbian lifestyle for 12 years. And before she came to me, she had visited four other churches 
as she told me that after she went to the last church and she shared the story that she was about to share with me, she said that she had become a sermon illustration the following Sunday, and so she thought, well, you know, maybe that's not Maybe that's not for me. Now, I don't want you to take up an offense for her. Everything is fine. Everything's okay. It's not cool what happened. Um, but anyway, God used that. And maybe that's what we need to hear, uh, that God used the impropriety of a pastor singling her out like that uh, to motivate her to come to our church and to receive help that she finally uh, received. And so she ended up in my office, I was leading the counseling ministry at the time. It is the church where I attend uh, today, uh, and, and the counseling ministry is still going on and doing well. I don't have a lot to do with the counseling ministry because I don't have the time because of what I'm doing here, and so there's really no space to devote to it, but I'm very thankful to have had a part in it uh, so long ago, and I'm very glad that God brought this lady uh, to me at that time. Lesbianism was not her primary sin issue, though obviously it is a significant one. And this is also important for us to understand. The primary entanglement began long before she embraced the lifestyle. The primary entanglement, it manifested as a lesbian lifestyle, but Actually, the roots of it were deep into her soul. And I think many of you know this, that our behaviors, they act as like a fruit tree, that they're implying that there is a root system below. When you see the fruit, the implication is there's a root system below. You can't have the fruit without a root system, and that root system develops. And many times, well, all the time, that root system is developing in an imperceptible way. This happens in parenting. Uh, we do not know how that plant is going to uh, thrust from uh, the soil. It does as teenagers and young adults. Uh, but that plant has been growing underneath the ground for 12 or 15 years, and then we see the fruit of it. But the fruit doesn't mean that, that this person just became this. It means that this person has been developing into this for many years. And so the fruit on a tree implies a root system that is developing and giving life to the eventual and future fruit. It's our hearts where sin grabs us and it begins to grow into unique weeds my weeds grow this way, and yours grow that way, and hers grew the other way. It is fair to say that everyone is totally depraved, but uniquely fallen, meaning my struggle is not your struggle, your struggle is not mine. Total depravity means that we're broken through and through, including the noetic effect of sin, that, that sin has completely affected our minds, it's affected our souls, it's affected our physicality. We are totally broken image bearers. And though everyone is totally depraved, we are uniquely fallen. And so when we come up out of the sod and live our lives, our behaviors and the choices that we make are different. And so I think it's a fair statement to say that we're totally depraved and we are uniquely fallen. Now, we know that all sin 
is not the same as we like to say, that the choices that we uh, make and the sins that we live, sometimes there is a harsher condemnation from God. I mean, in one sense, you could say that all sin is the same because any sin would put Christ on the cross, and that is true. But then you would say that all sin is not the same, like from a consequential perspective, all sin is not the same. But it's also not the same because of the way the Bible talks about certain sins. And for those of you who have read your Bibles enough, you know that there is a harsher condemnation from God on the homosexual lifestyle, that, that, that the homosexual lifestyle is a label that elevates his heinousness. But still yet, that lifestyle is not out of the reach of God's grace and that is the message that I wanted my new friend to hear. Sin that had sprung up from her heart into a full-blown lesbian lifestyle, there is hope for her. And of course, there is hope for you and me, uh, for those that we know, the children that we have, uh, that there is nothing outside of the confines of God's grace that he is able to save. Whether the sin is the same, the sin is different consequentially, or if the Bible talks about the sin in harsher ways like it does for the gay lifestyle. And so I want to share with you my paraphrase of our first conversation. This is an abbreviated part of it. We talk for a couple of hours because that is my normal counseling length that I meet with people, two hours, because I want to give people an environment of grace to where they have freedom to communicate and think and not feel pressed uh, to where we have to do everything in 55 minutes. And so our my re, uh, counseling philosophy is a relaxed relational experience. And so I can't share with you everything that we said in two hours, but I do want to give you a paraphrase of part of our initial conversation. It went like this. She said, Rick, I remember the first time I walked into that lesbian bar. I went in with a friend because I was curious and had never been to a bar like that. All these ladies were sitting at the bar on those stools. Most of them turned and looked at me when I entered Rick, I can't tell you how good it felt when those ladies began to show interest in me. It, it was one of the first times in my life where I felt accepted and loved while not being required to be perfect. I had no interest in becoming a lesbian. I just wanted friends with whom I could be real with them. In my Christian college, I could never tell anyone my innermost thoughts. Rather than getting help, I would get demerits. If I dared to share the real me, I would get told on. I just wanted someone to listen to me and not condemn me. There was no way I was going to talk to my school. And my parents? Never. All they cared about was how they looked to others. And that was the problem. How things were and how things looked were, were miles apart. They cared about what things appeared to be rather than dealing with what was happening in me, in my heart. These ladies at the bar, they accepted me. It, it felt good. Rick, do you think if I confessed my sin to God, he would give me a demerit? Would he kick me 
out of school would he put me in in the penalty box? And that is a paraphrase of a snippet of a two-hour conversation that I had with my new lesbian friend. And one of the interesting things is, is that she was willing to sacrifice all of her Christian experience, two decades of Christian experience, including her theology and all that she knew about Christ. She was willing to check out of her Christian community to have a relationship with someone where she could be honest and not be judged. Think about how profound that is. It's essential for you to know that she did not come to me because she wanted to change her lifestyle. She actually came to me because her girlfriend had broken up with her and had begun a committed, I put that in air quotes, a committed relationship with someone else. Her reason for coming was similar to maybe many of our reasons for coming for change. We don't want to change. We really don't want to change, but circumstances seem to be pushing us toward change. Now, I think there's something here, especially for parents to listen to. Many parents are tempted to circumvent the path that our children are taking. Uh, we're over-worried about what they're doing and the choices that they're making, and so we get out in front of them, and we try to stop them. But sometimes, God allows us, he's writing a script that we need to go down this dangerous path. We need to take that dangerous journey because at the end of it, there's a dead end road and there is a sign that that says something like, you're about to come to the end of yourself. Now, I realize this is a subjective idea that I'm communicating to you. It's, It's under this overarching idea of a wisdom issue. It falls under a wisdom issue. We can't really know uh, if this is the path that God is writing into their script, but we need to give allowance to it because sometimes God has to use a dangerous journey to get their person to the place to where they are willing to listen. And when she came to me, she was not and she was really didn't want to change, but it was because she had broken up or her girlfriend had broken up with her. That's why she was sitting in front of me. And she did have enough God awareness to get help. And she assumed that a Christian counselor or a pastor was an option, not realizing she would have to try four churches before she could find that help. But at the end of the day, she was at the bottom. She was at the end of herself. And as we were dialoguing that day, she asked me this question, which was a good question. She said in that first meeting, what does the end of counseling look like for her? That if she were to commit to a counseling process, what would, it, what would the end product look like? What would the end of counseling look like for her? No matter how long it took, what would the end look like? Now, her question is good. It's an important question. It's a question that, that every, every counselee should, should ask, and it should be explained to them because the answer to her question, what does the end of counseling look like, is the same answer to every other person that asked that question. This is what I told her. The end of counseling is not for you to get better. To only get better is still in process. Uh, You can think of it like a football field. To come to counseling and to get better just gets you to the 50-yard line. 
But the end of counseling is when you you go from a self-centered person and you get better and then you transition to a other-centered person to where you're not thinking about yourself any longer and, and your primary objective in life is to love God and love others more than yourself. It's like, when is a thief no longer a thief in the book of Ephesians chapter 4? When he stops stealing? No, that's getting better. But it's when he stops stealing and he gets a job, he works with his hands so that he can provide to others. If the end of counseling was getting better, there is a strong possibility that there will be some point in the future where the heat will come raining down on the individual. And because they have not been living an other-centered lifestyle, they have only gotten better, that they will revert back to their old lifestyle. And so when she said, what does the end of counseling look like? I said, well, the end of counseling is for you to go out and be a, a disciple maker. And I'll never forget her response to that statement I made. She burst into tears, like hyperbolically. It was uncontrollable tears, and it was a little bit uncomfortable from my chair. I was surprised. And so as she settled down, I asked her, I said, why are you crying? And she said, well, it never dawned on me that God would not only forgive her of her sin, that he would use her for his fame, for her good, and for the benefit of many. You see, she thought that her sin was beyond the scope of God's grace. Not true. And so I introduced her to my God rather than her legalistic, demerit-toting God, little G-O-D. You see, it's the kindness of God that leads to change. And so she began to learn about grace. She began to understand that Christ died for lesbians too. And she eventually changed over a period of time. That was the day that a lesbian walked into my office. Now, I want to wrap up and just share 10 reflective thoughts with you that I trust it will help to stir your mind, maybe give you insight, maybe it would be an excellent, maybe it will spark conversation uh, with a friend or two. And so there are 10 things I want to just draw out of that story. The first one is, as you listen to this story, who was the biggest sinner in the counseling office? And I want you to think about what your answer would reveal about you. Now, I will answer the question from my perspective. The biggest sinner in the counseling office was me, not her, from my perspective. Uh, what I did is I put Christ on the cross. And putting Christ on the cross is is more significant than a lesbian lifestyle. Now, I trust that she would argue the point and say, no, Rick, you, you're not the biggest sinner in this room. I am. I put Christ on the cross. And the reason that that is important is twofold. Sometimes we can compare our sins with each other. And when we do sin comparing, as Paul said in Corinthians, it's not wise when we compare ourselves with, with one another. And so we don't want to get into horizontal comparing of each other. We always want to view other people through the lens of what God has done for us. And so not only do we uh, succumb to the temptation of comparing, but once you do that, then you can elevate yourself above the other person. And now we're in Luke 18, where you're looking down on another person and you smote yourself on the chest and say, thank God that I'm not like that person. 
If we don't see our sin against Christ as we have sinned against the infinite power God Almighty, if we do not see that as the greatest sin through our lens, through our perspective, then we will begin to elevate other people's sins as though they are worse than we are. Then they may be worse than we are in a consequential perspective. They may be worse than our sins from how God talks about their sin in the Bible. But there is no sin in the Bible that's greater than sinning against God Almighty. And so the lens through which we look at other people is through the lens of a forgiven sinner who has sinned against God Almighty has been forgiven, which is humbling no matter what their sin is. And so the question is, as you listen to this story, who was the biggest sinner in the counseling office? The answer to the question, it depends on who you ask. If you ask me, I'm going to tell you that I am the biggest sinner in that office that day because I put Christ on the tree. And I trust that she would argue the point because she put Christ on the tree. We want to come from that perspective before we begin talking about whatever our individual sins are. Number two, homosexuality is an abomination in the eyes of God. A gay person is a fellow image bearer. Now, those are two truths that are really, it seems like they're pushing against each other. But both of those things are true at the same time. Homosexuality is an abomination in the eyes of God. The Bible is very clear. But a gay person is made in the image of God, just like you are, just like I am. And so the question is, how do you steward these truths as you think about helping other people? If we forget that the other person is an image bearer, then we will go back to the self-righteousness fallacy again and begin to look down on them, and our theology will escape our minds. And so we have to hold these truths in the proper tension. Yeah, homosexuality is, as the Bible states, that it is, but that person is also an image bearer. Now, that also applies to any other sinner that you know which is why we want to be careful with how we talk about them, think about them, because if we get that tension off, uh, then we can be self-righteous toward them. Number three, the gay lifestyle could be a pathway to Christ. It was with my friend, though, though you might have traveled a different dark road that was the dark road that she traveled. There is one Christ, but there are many ways to get to him. And it is important. As I was saying earlier, sometimes the path that our children, for example, take is not our path. And so it is a wisdom issue. It is subjective. And we really want to seek God's mind because we don't want to interfere. This may be the dark path that they have to go down ultimately to get to Christ. And so this is a tedious thing to think about, but it could be true. And so we have to factor that in as we think about those who are making bad choices. The gay lifestyle could be the pathway to Christ. For me, the pathway to Christ was an abusive dad, drugs, alcohol, vandalism, going to jail. Probably not your path, but it was my path and it was the right path. 
And now looking through the rearview mirror, I am grateful for that path because that path brought me to Christ. And that's how I got to him. And so there is one Christ, but there can be many ways to get to him. And that is something to spend some time thinking about. Number four, her parents did not make her sin. It it could be easy for some people, especially if you came up in a legalistic environment, maybe a religious church environment that's legalistic, and you think, her parents reared her legalistically. That is true. But ultimately, she made the choice. This is on her. None of us will be able to stand before God explaining that our choices were because of what happened to us or what other people did to us. No, there are no excuses. We choose. And so for people that would tend to move off center and say, well, her parents, well, yeah, there are some things that her parents should have done better. But ultimately, it was her choice. I took that position, that perspective, many decades ago. I blamed my parents for the result outcome of my life. And then God uh, pulled my choke chain and said, no, 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 no. Yeah, you got a raw deal, and your parents did some bad things to you, and some other people did bad things to you too. But you were the one that was making choices all along. And so we want to make sure that we have clarity, because if you're helping a person like this, you could jump into that trap and start railing on her parents or railing on legalism. And I know some counselors and disciple makers do that, and they end up mapping their experience, their bad legalistic experience over a story like this, and they miss helping the individual because they haven't worked through what happened to them, and now they're complicating another soul. Number four here, her parents did not make her sin. Ultimately, she made a choice. Number five, same idea. Her school did not make her sin. Her school was one of many means that revealed and amplified the twisted condition of her heart, which is an Adamic condition. I live in Greenville, South Carolina, for example, and the Christian university here, some of you have heard of, is Bob Jones University. I think in some ways I've made a career out of counseling alumni from Bob Jones University, and I would say that 98% of them at some point in time had a bad attitude toward Bob Jones University because it has been a legalistic institution in many ways, in some super harsh and strict ways in their distant past. And many people will come out of Bob Jones and they flame out of Christianity or they, they, they go so far over into what I call the grace mistake. They go from licentiousness to this liberality, and I call that a grace mistake. I live in grace. I can do anything that I want to do, and they live a licentious lifestyle. And, and they look back, and they say, well, that university, and they, they, they talk as though the university made them this way. No, her school did not make her sin, just like her parents did not make her sin. Her school was one of the many means that revealed what was already pre-existing in her heart, her Adamic, total depraved condition. When under the heat of adversity, when under the heat of difficult situations, a hard legalistic school environment, for example, or parents that aren't parent 
acting biblically like my parents or like her parents. When we're under that heat of adversity, our true selves will manifest, but we have to be careful that if we don't focus on our own decisions and we start blaming institutions and uh, parental uh, leadership, we will miss the whole point of what God is doing in our hearts. And so number five, her school did not make her sin either. Number six, the core of her problem is like every other person. It is a craving for acceptance that only God can satisfy through the completed work of Christ. And I hope that you heard that uh, when she was telling her story when she walked into the gay bar. And when those ladies turned and looked at her, she was, really to, she was ready to get rid of her theology. She was ready to step out of the Christian community. She was ready to chuck everything that she had learned about Christianity because there was something more important to her than those things, which is a phenomenal thing, and that's why we need to hear it. There is a desire in all of our hearts for belonging, for acceptance, for community, for approval, and sometimes that longing can be so powerful that we will make decisions that are outside the boundaries of God's Word because we don't know or we don't believe, we haven't understood, that ultimately the only way to find that desire for acceptance satisfied, satiated, is through the completed work of Christ. God the Father accepted, accepted the works of Christ. We step into Christ, and he, accept, he accepts us. Desiring to be accepted is not wrong. What is wrong is when we try to find acceptance outside of biblical means, and there is only one ultimate biblical means, and that is through the accepted work of Christ. We step into that. We receive his alien righteousness, and God accepts us into the body of Christ. We're in union with Christ. We are one with him. We're now in the body, and we live in the pleasure of God's full approval and acceptance of us not based on anything that we have done, but based on the accepted works of Christ. Her core problem is like every other person. A craving for acceptance is one of the ways to frame it. Number seven, with that in mind, don't underestimate our human approval drive. We have an approval drive, and we can't assume that, that any of our friends who are around us on Sunday morning, for example— that they could very well have this amped up soul noise that is churning inside of them that is imperceptible. It was inside of her for 20 years. And for whatever reason, it, it was never dealt with. It was just pressed in, pressed in her, this approval drive, this de desire for acceptance. And so we don't want to underestimate this human approval drive. We don't want to assume that our friends have no soul noise when it comes to craving acceptance or desiring belonging. Perhaps there's someone around you teetering between darkness and light because they're just so lonely inside. It is something to pray about. If you perceive this, then maybe uh, introducing this conversation with them would be a good start. Number eight, parents must be aware of a child's Adamic insecurity. And this is part of the solution from a parenting perspective that we have to know this that children come into the world insecure, 
feeling unsafe. That is the beauty of a husband and, and a wife, a father and a mother, creating a, a home of grace and encouragement and, and safety. And, and it doesn't mean that you withhold discipline. You, you administer appropriate discipline, but it always happens in an environment of grace and love and acceptance. We don't want to understate uh, this awareness that we have to have of this Adamic insecurity that are in children. We want to be aware of that and then create this environment where these little ten- tender plants can grow and find strength through the teaching and the modeling of the gospel as they see in their parents. Number nine, parents must not fall into the legalistic trap. It sounds something like this. What did I do wrong? As though your work saved people. The person who thinks that way, it's almost like they're saying, if I could just go back in time and do X, Y, and Z, then the result would have been different. Well, then the the wholeness of your child is dependent upon your works and not the works of Christ, and so parents must not fall into the legalistic trap. Perhaps you did make mistakes. If you did, you can change, you can repent, you can go to your adult children and and confess those things and clean that up, but you're never the cause of someone's sin, and so you can contribute, but not the cause. You can contribute but you're not the cause, and so you don't want to fall into the legalistic trap saying, if I had done X, Y, Z, there would have been a different outcome. Then change is all dependent upon you and not the grace of God. That is the heart of legalism. Number 10, parents must not fall into the presuming on God's grace trap. I did nothing wrong. There's nothing to see here. No, we can't have that attitude. The sweet spot is we cooperate with God by partnering with Him in the rearing of our children, but only He can bring repentance to the human heart. And so there's 10 reflective thoughts from this story uh, with the lesbian that I encountered a couple of decades ago, and I have, have titled this, A Lesbian Walked Into My Office Ready for help. I trust that's beneficial to you, and maybe you have other reflective thoughts. And if you do, I would encourage you that conversation has been sparked. And so now you go and, and share with another friend, and you have that conversation, and you discuss the 10 points, that the 10 reflective thoughts that I just shared with you or others that God has brought to your mind. If we can serve you, if there's other resources on our site, uh, please go through our search feature and search for them. If you're looking for something specifically, hit our live chat button and and ask and, and someone will respond to you and we'll try to get you the resource that you need. Thank you so much for listening and God bless. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.